Hello, my name is Wendell Tull, and you are listening to the very first episode of Division One Basketball, the podcast network. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm happy that you found us, however you found us. If someone referred you, if you just happened upon us, thank you so much for joining us. This is Division One Basketball, and it's going to be an interesting ride. I played college basketball at Northern Arizona University. I was super excited to be on a Division One basketball scholarship. So I knew I could play at that level. But once you're actually there, it's 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 something that's so thrilling. Anyone that gets to play at that level is fortunate enough to play at that level. I think will remember it as probably the most exciting time in their lives. And it's such a short period of time in your in your life overall that when you're done, when you graduate, if you're smart enough to actually go to class and do what you're supposed to do and not just show up on campus to play basketball, but you actually do everything that you need to do in terms of fulfilling your academic requirements to graduate, once you're done, it's I'm telling you, look back on it and you go, wow, that time flew by so fast. And it felt like that for me. And I think about it a lot because uh, it's still one of the most memorable periods of my life. And so anyways, Division One basketball is a show where we'll talk to different personalities, people who are players currently playing at the Division One level, former players, whether they went pro or they just went on to life after basketball, which meant becoming a stockbroker or working for a newspaper or doing a, a multitude of different careers, working in academia. It's interesting to me how successful a lot of people who played at Division One at the Division One level end up turning out in terms of their their careers because they take all of that focus, all of that determination, dedication, and that that kind of grit and that moxie that was required for them to even get to the Division One level and apply it to their careers going forward. So that's to me the interesting part of of college athletes what it is that that made them tick and you know made them get to a level where literally less than two percent of all high school players will ever ascend to so takes a very special person if you look at companies around the country different organizations fortune 500 corporations a lot of those organizations are led by people who played collegiate sports not all of them played division one athletics but but many of them did but we're going to focus a lot on on division 1 basketball because that's what I'm passionate about but I like sports period so we'll have guests on this show that come from many different walks of life and in some cases didn't play basketball they might have played a different sport but I think we can get something out of out of uh what they have to say in terms of how they got to the elite level that they they got to in their sport and uh because I think it's all applicable across many different sports but the name of this show is division one basketball and uh and of course it's attached to division one basketball.com where you can go to the website and, and there's so many different things that you can you will be able to get off of the website and 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 that website will be evolving over time but as i said this is the very first episode and and we're fortunate this very first conversation that i'm going to have today for you is with a gentleman who i met when i moved to the Bay Area, Dr. Mark Robinson. Mark is a former Division One basketball player. He played at Indiana University for the legendary Bob Knight in the late 80s, early 90s. And he was by no stretch of the imagination one of Indiana's best players during that time. 
nor was he even one of Coach Knight's favorite players at the time. He was someone that was probably in a doghouse more than any other player in the history of Indiana basketball. He'll tell you that's that's basically what Mark would say. But what he learned under Coach Knight and, and the way that Coach Knight took care of him when he was done with his career is an interesting story. And he tells he tells it really well. He talks about how there was no difference between the walk-on student-athlete at Indiana or the star player who played for Coach Knight. Coach Knight treated everybody the same. And uh, so we'll get a little bit of perspective as to what his time was like playing for the legendary Coach Knight. Uh, also talk a little bit about what, you know, what's 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 going on with the game today. AU basketball, you know, we'll talk uh, about his own son. He has a son who just graduated from a local high school in the area where we live and reside and and uh, signed a scholarship to play at South Dakota. And uh, so he's looking forward to watching his son now move on to that Division One level and, and try to excel as a player. So I'm excited. This is the very first show. It's going to get better, trust me, as we as we figure out how we want to take the show. And it's going to be, I think, really interesting to hear from so many different types of personalities. And, and we'll have a lot of fun with it. And I'll definitely take any suggestions that you have for topics. You just email us. If you go into DivisionOneBasketball.com, there's a contact page there. And uh, send us all of your thoughts and comments and suggestions. And uh, I'll, I'll try to read and get to every single one of them and, and reply to you. I know it might be difficult. It'll be really easy now because we're still just building our audience. But aspirationally, if, if things go the way I want them to go. It might take a little bit longer because there'll be a lot of people chiming in on how they want to see this show evolve. So I'm excited. This is Division One Basketball, and our first guest is Dr. Mark Robinson. Hang in there. Mark Robinson. Dr. Mark, we'll call you Dr. Mark. Yeah, just go. at the start, Mark. This is our our first Division One basketball podcast. Okay, we're gonna talk a lot about a lot of things. We're gonna talk a little bit about what's happening in in the college game. We'll even venture into the NBA. What's going on with the transition between high school to college, the one and dones? You know, is it beneficial for guys to stay in school at least three years at the college level before they think about going pro? You know, who's ready, who's not. Now ESPN's reporting about reclassifying uh, young players. And traditionally, football players just do this all the time. Get out of school early so they can get into college and start gaining some weight. Now basketball players are doing it. So real quick rundown, I'm Wendell Tull. I'm a former Division One basketball player. This is Division One basketball podcast. And I'm with Mark Robinson, who actually has his doctorate and played at Indiana University for the legendary Bobby Knight. Mark, you and I are, are actually neighbors. We live in the same community in, in Northern California, in Walnut Creek, in the Bay Area. So let's talk a little bit about kind of your journey to where you're at today. You grew up where? Uh, I grew up in Southern California, mm-hmm. and um, I could say that uh, I, was, I didn't take the traditional route. I went to Three different high schools, like a lot of kids today. I mean, I grew up in that single parent environment, 
and you know basketball was something i did for recreation something to get away it was a court at the end of our street you know at the at the middle school um we did that and you know i didn't have the grades i went to simi valley high school for my senior year i won't go into the other two schools i went to but i didn't change schools because we moved i changed schools because there was some what they call antisocial behavioral issues so uh, I ended up going to my last year at Simi High and had a good time. Had was around great coaches, great uh, uh, players, um, but because of the grades, I had to come to to the northern part of California, go to City College of San Francisco, where I had another great experience. Uh, great basketball, great development in terms of me as as a player and as a person. Uh, played for a guy, Brad Dugan. Uh, he, he'd won a lot of games, and I was you know interested in that. And to this day, City College is still, you know, a uh, um, a national prominence in terms of community college. They win. They won the state championship last year. But for for me, I got to, you know, go on to Indiana University, play for Bob Knight, and that was a great experience. And it's, you know, when you got your own kids and you're a power five dad, it's it's a little bit difficult when you're dealing with other coaches, at yeah. the, especially at the youth level. But from there, I went overseas, played in England. I played in, I played in China. I played in Central America, played in Portugal, some other places, but I just got to, I got to travel around a lot and play and, sure. and I enjoyed it. Um, I think that the game today is different from the amount of money that's being invested in the game to the, the knowledge of certain people that are around the game. But I think that, you know, basketball is a sport for, in terms of me, I think all sports have this, have this opportunity to, to see the world and grow. I don't think, you know, obviously basketball is played all over the world, like soccer or in some you know, some countries they call it football or cricket. There are those sports that are, you know, universal in the sense that you can play them anywhere. And I think that the people that play those sports early on need to understand all of the opportunities that are available to them because it's it's um it's powerful stuff. It's powerful stuff. Sure. You know what I'm always fascinated by is when I was done playing basketball, it was such an abrupt end. You know, it was like I I played in college and as it was closing, getting to a, a conclusion, I started thinking about, man, what's you know what's going to happen? I knew I wasn't going to go to the NBA, even though I had a, an NBA workout, and that was only as a result of different contacts that I had. You know, it was it was just an opportunity to go, and I and I spent some time in Grand Rapids with with the Grand Rapids hoops and the CBA, but I knew that the journey wasn't going to be a long one after I got out of college. But once it was done, and it was done, I remember thinking, man you know, like what's next? You know, I knew I needed to go on to a career and I'm always interested in talking to former college basketball players, specifically D1 players who played at the highest amateur level and, you know, how you make that transition into life after, you know, basketball. For you, you pursued your education even further. You know, you went on and got advanced degrees. And is that something you were thinking about while you were still in school? That this is something, you know, I like my time here at IU. Uh, I certainly want to go on and play basketball, which you did. But when did you start thinking about, you know, I, I want to continue to advance my education? I think it wasn't something that I thought about early on. I knew early on when I was at Indiana, I knew that I did not want to be a professional in the NBA in the NBA sense uh -huh. I knew that I, I, I didn't want to play in the NBA I think it was my second year no no right my first year um, at Indiana the summer that I got to Indiana I went into what was known then and they still have it called the hyper building and the hyper building 
there's a whole bunch of basketball, indoor basketball courts, no air conditioning, or at the time it didn't have it. And the big fans all the way around. It's the middle of summer. It's humid like it is in the Midwest. And I saw two guys working out at the far end of the court and they were work, they were one-on-one and it was, it was a distance away, but I could see there were two guys. I could tell they were working hard and they were playing one-on-one full court. Um, a lot of fouls, a lot of touching and grabbing, a lot of movement. And I sat there and I watched them for a while and I said to the woman, I said, wow, those guys down there, they're really working hard. And um, she said, yeah, that's Isaiah Thomas. And obviously the, the original Isaiah Thomas with the Detroit Pistons. She said, that's Isaiah Thomas and another fellow named Jim Thomas. She said, they, he, they come back here every summer and they, they, this is what they do, you know. And at that moment, I knew that I didn't want to work that hard. You know, I, I, I knew I didn't want to put in that type of work. And I think I didn't want to put in that type of work because that was the level of work and the level of commitment that I never had to make because I was more of an athlete. I wasn't really a basketball player. I was, I was you know, I was an athlete. Uh-huh. So I could play basketball. I could probably do a number of sports, but basketball was the one that I, I chose. But I think for for me, I knew right then and there before before the first practice that there was no way that I was going to put in that kind of work yeah. to play in the NBA on a maybe. Uh-huh. Um, and I did my time at Indiana. And I had a great time, and I put in, I gave one hundred percent, you know, during practice yeah. and games and everything else. But at the end of the day, when it was all over, the transition that you're talking about, I tried to get a job. Yeah, you know, with I had a uh, bachelor's in general studies, which a lot of you know, like liberal arts degree, general studies, uh-huh. or criminal justice, or sociology—they're all the same. Yeah, you know, um, there's very little marketability with those types of degrees unless uh-huh. you're going to go on to graduate school. Right. So I tried to get a job a couple of different places, and I had worked in the in the prosecutor's office in some pretrial diversion program, first uh-huh. time offenders, and I thought, is is this it? Is right. this all that, that where life is going to take me? And I'm working with adults now. been in, working there for, you know, 15, 20 years. And yeah. I'm like, is this, uh, am I going to end up like them? Not that they were ended up in any, any way that was negative. Yeah. But I thought, you know, going, being a Division One player, there was going to be more, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, more offerings outside of it. But so I, I went and I spoke to Coach Knight about playing overseas. And yeah. he said, hey, why don't you go to graduate school? I don't want to go to graduate school. I'm like, that's ah, not for me. No. You know, I'm, I didn't really get a good undergrad. I had like a 2.01 GPA. Uh-huh. I barely survived. You know, um, I just did the bare minimum. And I did the bare minimum because I wasn't interested in the academic, the the, the degree. Uh-huh. There was nothing that was interesting to me. Right. You were just trying to graduate. That's it. I was just trying to stay eligible. Okay. Okay. That's the name of the game. Uh-huh. You know, stay, they, the name of the game for them is to keep you eligible. The name of the game for you is to stay eligible. Right. Right. Um, it's not really to learn and grow from an academic standpoint. So you have something to do. People say you have your degree to fall back on as uh-huh. if you're guaranteed a spot at the next level. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, you have something to fall back on. So you think I'm going to make it. Yeah. You know, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. You need to have the degree, period. The MBA is what you fall back on. Sure. You know, so I uh, I, I went and, and I went and applied for graduate school at his request. And I got in on a special student kind of status. Okay. And I majored in counseling and guidance. And I thought, yeah, I want to do counseling because I want to figure out what's what makes us tick as athletes, right. you know, from a behavioral standpoint. And I found out that there wasn't really a lot of information that discussed athletic behavior, let alone, you know, African-American athlete behavior, uh-huh. which is why I still think to this day that we have a hard time understanding black athletes because we're not studying them at the same rate that we study everything else. Sure. But yet we put so much money and so much investment into black athletes from uh-huh. all, all across the sports world. Right. We're investing in not only 
I shouldn't say black athletes, but athletes of color. You know, if you look at some of the top uh, athletes across the globe, they're all of color. Yeah. You know, yeah, you may find some here or there that aren't of color, but when you collectively put them together, when you just go to soccer, you know, you look at uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, and now he's the highest paid, whatever you want to call it, yeah. in the world, right? Yeah. He's a man of color. Mm-hmm. Um, LeBron James, you know, Michael Jordan, all these big names are men of color who have a lot of in- people investing in them. But at the same time, we're not investing in the, the masses, I would say, in understanding their behavior. So mm-hmm. that was that was my deal. Um, I wanted to understand what made us tick. And then when I got an opportunity to go overseas after the Masters, I had already put so much time into playing basketball and going to school at the same time. Mm-hmm. I knew that going overseas, I was going to be, you know, I was going to practice for an hour, an hour and a half. And I was going to have the whole day to myself to do absolutely nothing. Sure. So I said, well, you know, if I can get into a doctorate program overseas, then that would cover some of the, the things that I'm doing in a day. It would help me meet, you know, meet people, right. kind of get, you know, adjusted to the community, you know, open up a whole nother network that wasn't associated with basketball. In my first year in my program, none of the people that were at the school really knew that I even played basketball. Okay. And it wasn't only until the second year where the team started to have success and I was in a newspaper, then people on campus started to say, you're that guy, yeah, yeah. you know. And it, and it wasn't it wasn't something that was annoying because you're coming from, you know, Indiana where that's the norm. Yeah, right, right. You know, and for me, I, I kind of got that relief of I'm just a regular student now. Mm-hmm. That basketball thing is what I do to earn money. And this is what I'm going to do because this is my interest. And I was generally interested in, in it. my study. I, I interviewed, I don't know, athletes on like four or five different continents because I was traveling during that time. Sure. About what their perception was of the services that they received from their universities mm-hmm. and all of them pretty much said that the, the services were just geared to keep them eligible yeah, not right. worry about their personal development sure. so then i kind of morphed into the personal development person i, I call it personal player development okay. which is i take a personal approach to a player and develop that player okay did you when you were at, at iu did you have obviously you had the support staff and in student services and student affairs that were helping the athletes and they were people that were assigned specifically to the athletes but did you have anybody that was outside of the athletic department that was just like hey listen you know forget about what they're doing with you in the athletic department come in and hear what we're doing on this part of campus we want you to to, to find more value in, in your time here or was it just strictly Hey, you know, staying eligible, like you said, um, just trying to get through playing your games, doing whatever you need to do to survive and, and, and get out of there. I mean, was there anyone that, that stepped in and said, because for me, my, my experience, first of all, I was just in a big sky conference is nothing compared to the big 10, you know, mid major basketball. So half the faculty didn't even know we even had a basketball team. I'm pretty convinced of that, you know, so I, I remember my mom was saying, Listen, I don't want you to, to, to go to and work with any advisors in the athletic department. I want you to go outside of that and work with an advisor. And so my first, I remember, um, I thought I wanted to, uh, be a broadcasting major. And mm-hmm. so I went and, and found an advisor in that area in the school of communications. And this particular individual was checked out. Like he was a tenured faculty member who could care less about anything other than his retirement. I wasn't getting any guidance. I was just so frustrated because I just wanted someone to give me just a just a roadmap, you know, to go. This is what you need to do in order to graduate. So I happened to be sitting in like a like a, a 100 level accounting class or, or advertising class, something like that. And uh, there was a girl who noticed that I looked like I was just like in a distant 
thought, you know, looking elsewhere, not paying attention to what was going on there. And she was like, what's the matter? And I said, I have this advisor who acts like he just does not care. You know, he can care less. I don't know if he's, if he has something against athletes, you know, if he has something against the fact that I'm a, a black student athlete, cause right. at my college, we, you know, we were less than 2%, you know, of the population there. And so I just couldn't figure it out, but I knew that he was checked out and I knew that this wasn't going to be the way I was not going to graduate if I just dealt with this individual. And so she, she basically said, my advisor is fantastic a lady by the name of Dr. Signe Nunez, who she was just like, she will invest in you as much as you want to invest in yourself. But she's not going to put up with any shit. You know, she basically is going to say, hey, look, if you're going to graduate from here, you have to do exactly what I ask you to do. So I went to see her and instantly she was just like, oh, you know, you're an athlete here. You really aren't interested in graduating from here. You know, I'm probably the wrong person for you to see. And I went, no, I, I want to get a degree from this institution. I will do whatever it is that you ask me to do. I remember her saying, I don't know if I believe that. I've heard that story from other athletes and and not that I want to, you know, stereotype, but I'm going to stereotype because I've had just too many bad experiences with with athletes that have come in here thinking that it was going to be an easy road. And uh, and I said, that's not me. Just tell me exactly what you want me to do. So I remember her saying, um, I would ask you to take summer school at least one summer session each year. And I'm going to ask you to get a Bachelor of Science so that you're going to have to have math and science requirements to graduate from here. And the very first summer, you're going to take a calculus class. And if you drop out of that class, I'm dropping you as an advisee. And I was like, wow, you know, that's great. You know, just just let me get registered, sign whatever you needed to sign for me to get in these classes. So that first summer, I remember the class started out with like 45 people because everybody was like, well, if I could do this over five weeks as opposed to 17 weeks semester, this will be easy. But the problem was it was every day, you know, for four hours and pretty much the majority of the teaching faculty were from a different country. Now, the interesting thing, the faculty member that I had was from the UK, mm-hmm. but he spoke really, really fast. Like he would go over, you know, problems so fast. You were just like, wow, did you get that? Fortunately, I was dating a girl who was a pre-med major who was also a math genius. So she was literally my tutor. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, literally every single day, at least 10 people dropped out of class that first week, right? If you got to the end of the week, then you couldn't drop that class without losing your entire, you know, uh, tuition. At the end of the week, there was like, there were literally less than 20 people in the class. And that was perfect for me because now you could literally ask as many questions as you want, right? And so I get through that summer and then she goes, great, you know, congratulations. I see that you're actually serious about trying to get, you know, a degree from here. And so I had her as my advisor, obviously, for the rest of the time that I was there. And when I was almost done with school, my undergraduate program, she goes, by the way, you know, we need to start thinking about graduate school. And I was just like, look, I'm just happy that this journey yeah. is coming to an end. And she, um, and she said, no, you're going to get an advanced degree, you know, because you, you need to, you know, have it. Arm yourself with that. Someone who's, uh, in my case, I was a first generation African American, mm-hmm. you know, here in this country. I thought, yeah, I guess she's right. That would be cool to have that, you know, and so, uh, but at the same time, I was still kind of like, whatever, you know, maybe I'll do it some, someday. Ultimately, I did go on to graduate school and, and when I was graduating, I remember, you know, calling her and saying, yeah, you know, this is unbelievable that, you know, this is something that you thought about for me and, and you believed in me. Mm-hmm. She's like, I didn't believe in you, you believed in yourself. You just right. listened to everything that I said. But what, what's so discouraging for me 
Mark, is I see guys that put a lot of time and effort into the program, right, playing their sport. In this case, we're talking about basketball, but whatever the sport is. And it's criminal that they don't get a degree from that place, that they actually put all that sweat and dealt with all those sessions with the coaches and, you know, all the stuff that you go through, which a lot of people don't understand. It looks so glamorous. You know, you're running out there at, at you know, Purdue or you're, you know, you're at Northwestern or wherever and at Illinois and, and the crowd's going crazy or you're coming in at Assembly Hall and it's just like, man, it's crazy. They don't see the other stuff, like all the craziness, right? The coaches screaming and, you know, the, the strength coach saying, you're not doing, you're not working out hard enough, right? It all looks glamorous. And there's a lot that goes into it. So the criminal part of it for me is people not actually saying, man, let me get a piece of paper from this, from this institution, right? right. They leave. There are more guys that played ball at a specific school. And if they did choose to graduate, they don't even get it from that school that they went to. They actually go somewhere else. Yeah. You know, I was watching Jalen Rose, who I think is, does a fantastic job on ESPN. He's on a couple of different, you know, programs there. He was iconic. The group that he played with mm-hmm. at Michigan, Fab Five, everybody knows their story. ESPN's done a great 30 for 30 on them just recently. He didn't get his degree from Michigan. He got it from somewhere like in, in St. Louis or something, yeah. you know, yeah. or, or, or some small school in Maryland. And that's criminal to me. Like, I think you, you know, you put all that time in, you raise, you, you make so much money for the school, you know, and, and then to not graduate from that institution, it's just, it's just criminal to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, you hit a lot of points and it's, I always love hearing other people's story about their college experience. I do. I think, um, because I think everybody's experience is different. Yeah. And, you know, at Indiana, particularly under Coach Knight, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was you were gonna graduate. Yeah, right. That 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 was priority number one. The basketball part that they they knew that was gonna take care of itself. Yeah, yeah. Graduating now, what you graduate with is another story. Sure. You know, and I think for a lot of kids that go into college, we we hear it. Don't worry about your major right now. Yeah. You have plenty of time to select your major, but that's a lie. And I don't, and I, you know, and even with my own son going through the process, you know, recently, I said, you're going to, it's either business or sport management. Yeah. Pick one. I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear, well, oh, does he love it? Does he really, that he doesn't know what he loves or doesn't love. So why don't we let him take the highest level, uh-huh. right? Why don't we let him go with the creme de la creme? And from business, we can convince him and teach him along the way. That business covers everything. If you like art, from a business standpoint, you could open up an art gallery and rent that out to some of the best artists in the area. Yeah. But from a business standpoint, from a business standpoint, if you really want to save the world and help children and, and, and homeless, and you can open up a nonprofit if that's what you really want to do. Right. But you have to do it from a business standpoint. Sure. Don't do it from a love standpoint first and then right. fail at business in the process. Right, right, right. Learn the business side to do what you love because yeah. there's always a business side to doing what we love even being homeless yeah, there's yeah. a business side to being homeless what streets you're going to go down what streets you're going to sleep on right. what days this soup kitchen is going to be opened up to so you have to have a schedule in terms of where you go and what you do and how you get it done yeah yeah and when when i got to indiana because i had already come from the community college system 
those first two years were already predetermined in terms of a major. Yeah, so right. I didn't have a choice but to go general studies. Sure. You know, where you got guys going in now who don't understand and parents that are allowing their kids to go in now who don't understand that, hey, you know, when it comes to selecting a college, you got to select the one that's going to allow you to get into the highest creme de la creme program. A lot of kids think that, oh, I've got a scholarship. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. You got a scholarship. What are you going to major in? Oh, I don't know yet. Okay, so you need to figure that out before registration. You yeah. need to get online. I mean, we got so many more so many more resources where you can put in top paying jobs in whatever thing you're thinking of, whether it be business, whether it be criminal justice, whether it be sociology, what's the top paying jobs? What education do I need? Yeah. Um, but we don't we don't do that. So when I was at Indiana, like I said, it wasn't a choice. I yeah. mean, if you miss class, um, if you miss class, they send a a, a red card to the coach. Yeah. So you probably either weren't going to play. Yeah, yeah. That that that's there was no like now. There's so much. There was money in it involved then, but now there's so it's such big business. It's bigger business, you know. Where coaches will, you know, say, well, you know, just let them play. You know, the NCAA yeah. rule is this, and our rule is that. Just let them play. If a kid doesn't graduate from college, I say it's really a seventy thirty split. Seventy mm-hmm. percent is the kid's fault. Thirty percent is the institution's fault because the kids got to go to class. Yeah. Now, what class is that 30% that the institution puts the kid in? That's, you know, another story. How that 30%, how often are they checking up on the kid? And kids don't understand that, you know, if you're not working out, if we recruited you and you may not be uh, panning out to what we thought, eh, let him fail. Yeah, yeah, let yeah. him flunk out. You know, hey, instead of putting him in that easy econ class, put him in that trade class put him in that biology class mm-hmm. put him in the chemistry class well he's not supposed to take that till next year give it to him now yeah. overload him right. and kids will say oh this is my schedule no you have to look at the the catalog and see am i supposed to be in these courses yeah, yeah. um like i said you know with athletes a lot of schools at the undergraduate level they, they're not welcoming to athletes in the business school sure they don't want you in there right. and you can tell by the classes and the times that they have them. Let's have classes that start at three o'clock in the afternoon. Right. Why would you have a class start at three o'clock in the afternoon? Well, that's when usually practices. Yeah. So no athletes can take this business class or this, you know, uh, biology class right. because we know they're going to be practicing at three in the afternoon. And yeah. co- those coaches aren't going to change, you know, the schedule. Right. So it's, it's interesting to hear, you know, how, how you went about it, how your story was in terms of, you know, graduation. I think in Indiana when I was there, hell, I don't, I don't remember anybody not graduating. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually saw Coach Knight. Um, he was doing an interview. This is an old interview a few years ago where he was talking about statistically. Uh, he he literally could think of how many athletes of the whatever. Let's say three hundred. You know, you, let's, let's just make it easy. Ten players on mm-hmm. scholarship. Thirty years coaching. He could literally just think of i think three or four Mm -hmm. that had played for him that didn't graduate and two of those two of those that number they didn't graduate on purpose yeah yeah because they wanted they wanted to hurt him some kind of way oh okay which is the dumbest thing i've ever heard yeah right one one of the guys i've asked several times over the years why don't you just go back your two units short yeah yeah two units short you know, we, you can do that online. And so he did that in spite to did, not yeah. do it. Really, he did, wow. it, he did it because he knew it was going to hurt Coach Knight. Both of them. They both did it because it was going to hurt Coach Knight's graduation rate. Wow. To this day, they haven't done it. That's in, that's incredible. Um, so and one of them, one of the guys played in the NBA for several years. Okay. And it's like, 
what are you upset about? Yeah, right, right. You know, you're what, getting what, paid. What, what are you upset about? Yeah. You got paid. You traveled the world. You right. got to play in the NBA several years. Mm-hmm. He, he's got a pension now coming in. Yeah, two units. Yeah, but you just don't want to. That's do it. so interesting because I I didn't even know that. I I was thinking was that's so impressive that he has such a high graduation rate, right? While he was as a coach. And not knowing the backstory to that, you know, oh, that, you, that, yeah, no, you that, these, that that's, that's so wild. No, there, there is no, <laughs> the thing that people never really understand about Coach Knight is that he treated everybody the same. Yeah. Whether you're the first, you know, the best player on the team statistically wise in terms of scoring. Yeah. Or you're the guy who sits at the bench and you never play. Yeah. You know, it, it was always, it was, it was always treated the same. If you got on one guy, he got on everybody. Uh-huh. So, you know, some people over the years are like, oh, is Coach Knight a racist? You know, is he this? Is he that? He just didn't like anybody. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, I can live with that. Yeah. You know, I can live with the fact that you're not going to treat this guy any different than, than you're treating me because he's white. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to treat that guy any different than you're treating me because he's 6'10. Mm-hmm. You know, well, there are a lot of people that are on the outside that look at Coach Knight a lot differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw they had, uh, they did a, a 30 for 30, I think it was, on Coach Knight. Yeah, and, just uh, recently. Yeah. You know, it was talking about, you know, when he got fired mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And, I, you know, I watch those kind of things, and I, I just say to those guys every time, when they interview people, oh, interviews over the years I've seen with Coach Knight, they do these interviews, and I just think you just say all the negative. Yeah. You know what I mean? You say all the negative stuff, and it's amazing how, you know, when, when I watch it, and I was, you know, I you played for the guy. <laughs> I lived it, right? I started second-guessing. Well, was he was he a prick? Yeah, right. you know, I, I, they had me thinking, and I <laughs> right, was there. Right, you know, but the way they portray it, you start thinking. Yeah, and then it's like, well, wait a minute. How about the fact that when I left Indiana, the fifteen, sixteen years that followed, my mom got a Christmas gift from Coach Knight every year. Yeah, they don't know that he does that, and that's not just for me. Yeah. I wasn't no no a McDonald's All American. Right, right, right. I was just a guy on the team. Yeah. So if he's doing it for just a guy on the team. How many more hundreds of kids' parents are receiving Christmas thank you cards or whether it was an ashtray or a, a shot glass or a rug or a, a clock? Yeah. It was always something different, right. you know? And I thought, nobody ever talks about that. Yeah. No one says a word, even the players, right, right. you know? And I, I didn't know that my, my parents were getting these things. And I came home one time, one time from overseas, and I was like, gosh, you know, you're really into the Indiana stuff. You know, <laughs> you know going a little wild with right. it. Yeah, you got more Indiana stuff now than when I played. And she was like, oh, Coach Nice always sends, he just sends stuff out. Yeah. And I thought, wow, he's sending you stuff. I'm sure he's sending just the 10 guys on my team yeah. that I played with right. times all the other teams and all the other kids that he played for. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I wasn't no... I wasn't a Bob Knight pet or yeah. uh, I was probably in a doghouse more than anybody that, that was in that era. But it, it goes a long way when, you know, just like when I was saying I wanted to go play overseas. Yeah. You know, the, his first thing was all you guys want to go play overseas. And you think all you guys, is that kind of like a racial thing? Uh-huh. All you guys. Right. And his comeback was, yeah, I'm talking about all you black kids. Uh-huh. All you black kids, you want to finish playing basketball and you want to go overseas. People don't like real conversations. Yeah. They, want, they don't want to accept the real conversation and they want to talk about the racial part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So he's like, most black players that I have, they want to come to me and they want to go play overseas. Yeah. Why don't you go to graduate school? Right. And if you really want to go overseas, go after. It'll be there. Sure. Right. Take care of this first. Mm-hmm. So I could have been 
like a lot of people are today and say, oh, I'm not dealing with him. He's a racist. He said all us black guys want to go play overseas. Well, we do. Yeah. That's the truth. Right. There's not one black. Oh, I shouldn't say not one because there's probably one out there who probably can't play. But most African-American kids who play basketball at the college level, division one, two, three, NAI, if you put a contract in their face and said, hey, do you want to go to Paris, France and play for the next nine months? Yeah. You're going to make forty or $50,000 tax-free. You're going to live in an apartment with another person. Mm-hmm. You're going to have your own room. You're going to have your own car. We're going to have two meals a day on a meal plan. The money you make is tax-free. You do whatever you want to do the other 25 or 23 hours in the day. Yeah, right. Do you want to go? Yeah, of course. Of course, right? That's the reality of it. But there aren't a lot of coaches that coach college basketball that have the connections to get you there. Yeah, right. And this is one of the reasons why I was thankful that I went to Indiana as opposed to all these other kids that I I see on a regular – every year I get emails from kids and parents, oh, can you – Help my kid go overseas. He wants to play basketball, yeah. this, that, and the other. And I always ask the same question. What is his coach doing? Yeah, yeah. Spent four years with a coach. Sure. And that coach can't even pay for him to go to an exposure camp in Vegas in the summer where international scouts are going to be because they don't want to. It's yeah. not illegal now. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. no longer uh, uh, under the NCAA. He has no eligibility. Sure. You can give that kid $500. You can give him $5,000. But coaches don't do it. Yeah. They say, hey, good luck to you. Right. We really appreciate well, they're, your time. Well, they're here. they're done with you. It's like you yes. can't do any. You don't bring any more value because no. your eligibility is up. If you're fortunate enough to go pro uh, now, all of a sudden you're you guys are best friends because you bring visibility to the program. He could say, "Hey, by the way, you know, Mark Robinson went pro. He's one mm-hmm. of our guys." Blah yep. blah. But I remember hearing um, actually Washington Post wrote a, a really good um, article about how uh, some of these former Hoyas, Georgetown Hoya players, were like. We can't even reach Coach Thompson unless you were in the first round, you right. know. And they were talking about these guys go back to we're talking back, you know, like Reggie Williams and Michael mm-hmm. Jackson right. and David Wingate, you know, yeah. all those guys were successful pros. But the guys that were on those teams that yeah. were coming off the bench that you didn't know that actually went out and had some pretty decent careers on Wall Street and working in politics. They're like, you pick up the phone, you can't reach Coach Thompson to save your life. If you're if you're not Alonzo Mourning or Patrick Ewing or Dikembe Mutombo, and it was so discouraging to read that, you know, I was just like, man, that's terrible because, you know, you, your coach spends that time in the living room talking to your mom and dad or whatever and, and saying, we're going to take care of you or whatever. And you would hope that that's going to be a lifetime, you know, relationship. And, and, and unfortunately, especially at the highest levels, these coaches are just like, once you're done bringing value, Good luck. Yeah, <laughs> you know, listen, take care. Cold world. Let me tell you something else. Here's the, this is this is the modern day. I don't think they did it back when I played, but this is the way it's going now, right? You're the coach of whatever football, baseball, basketball, whatever you coach, uh-huh. and it's in your contract, right? It's in your contract right. that if you have a graduation percentage of X, right, you get more money. Of course. How come you can't give some of that money to the kids that are graduating? They're they're actually they're making doing the work. that money. Yeah, right. They're making that money for you. So they're just saying basically, look, you know, you get another hundred and fifty thousand dollars if you have a graduation rate of ninety percent or better yeah. as a coach. Okay. So you look at it and think, right. So you're driving the kids, okay, go to class, go to class. You're on them, go to class, go to class. And so once they graduate, yeah, you go to graduation and you're smiling and taking pictures with yeah, them. Right. But you're not saying to the kid, hey man, you know what? Because you graduated, I got another hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Right, right. Okay. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you thirty of that. Right. To get you going. Yeah. Okay. Here's a check for thirty thousand yeah. dollars. You good luck to you. No, they're not doing that. You know something, Mark? And you could look this up. 
you know, North Carolina is actually used to give their graduates, the guys that graduated, a cash incentive, and they cut that out. Like, they couldn't, because the NCAA said, you can't do that. Even though they're done with their eligibility, right, right. they were like, that's the way that you could actually recruit players. They yeah. hey, by the way, you come to, yes, to North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you graduate, we're going to give you $50,000. Right. They were doing that not up until not that long ago. Say it again. Not until not long ago? Yeah. But you know, they had the scandal. With the graduate, with the the paper classes at North yeah, Carolina, yeah, right, right. So basically, they were giving away the money, yeah, and the kids weren't even graduates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, right. So they give them, they're giving, they're saying you're graduating, yeah, and they did graduate, but they didn't take, they didn't take the classes. Yeah, right. Now, from a rule standpoint, you're no longer you. an NCAA student athlete. Uh huh. You're no longer. Yeah. They can say they don't like it, but. You're never going to hear the NCAA saying, well, it's illegal. You can't do it. So we're going to take away a banner. Yeah. We're going to take away a banner, but you can give the school money. Yeah. That's yeah. okay. Right. Right. Come on, man. You get, <laughs> you, you get, you're telling me the coach can't give you money as a graduate. Right. Right. right? But they're, the alumni association is going to send you a letter t- in two weeks right. asking you for money, but you can give them money. <laughs> <laughs> That's so no, wild. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that, man. You can give those kids money. You can give those kids money, and that, they won't even stand up in the court of law. Yeah, They're right. saying it's an incentive. It's an incentive. It's also an incentive if I give them money. Yeah. So you're saying right. they shouldn't be sending me. Indiana should never send me anything because they didn't give me anything, right? Right. We, I did my time as an athlete. And now I'm done with you. Yeah. Don't right. send me any paperwork. I won't send you anything. You don't send me anything. No, I get something, an email or mm-hmm. something. In, oh, Indiana, all oh, you can be, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, but the, the, the thing that I find the most interesting is not so much the money. Mm-hmm. It's the employment opportunities. Yeah. I mean, if you look at an institution and you look at athletes, the prime place for them would be to get a job with the institution uh-huh. after they graduate. Sure. Or soon after, a year or so, whatever. They should have that program where we bring back former athletes and put them in our program and we find employment for them on campus. Because if you look at a lot of these athletic departments, right. most of the people that work in them didn't attend that school. Sure. They didn't participate in sports. And then when you try and get a job in those athletic departments where you participated, You've got somebody from another school, mm-hmm. probably a D2, D3 school, that are happy just to work for your alma mater, but yet won't hire you to work there. Yeah. And you put all the work in. Yeah, right. You know, and it's like, wow, where'd you go to school? Oh, I went to so-and-so state. Oh, isn't that, where's that? Oh, that's just a small, you know, Division three school. Oh, yeah. okay. And now you're the associate uh, uh, athletic director, and you won't even hire me yeah. as a former athlete? Right. Right. That's like a slap in the face, but they don't care because they don't have no relationship with you. And to be honest, they never brought you to campus to work for the institution. Yeah, they only see you as an athlete. That's that's a, that's a perfect point because um, I remember when I when I graduated, I loved my campus experience. I just loved seventy five percent of the students that went to my school. And at the time, there's only like twelve thousand students has grown since then. Uh, lived on campus, and so I got to know a lot of students that were outside of the athletic department and that was fantastic. I just really liked my experience. And so I wanted to stay there when I graduated and all all I kept hearing was, well, there's too many people on campus that would remember you as the 
basketball player, mm-hmm. you know, and so it might be difficult for you to make the transition. I was like, what are you talking about? There, I know there's other people <laughs> here that just graduated from whatever, you know, I put the time in, I, I sweat all over this place, uh, you know, yeah. I ran from one end of campus to the other. And, um, and that was the, the, the excuse is like, no, you, you know, it'd be hard for people to see you as, as yeah. something other. And I was yeah. like, well, you know, and it was funny because then years later, after I had, had developed a lot of experience that at Arizona State, then I I became, you know, someone who is now valuable to the right. where they say, oh, this guy now has a graduate degree. He can come back. He's worked at another institution and, and you know, and I ended up not going back. But uh, yeah, so to your point that that's, that's uh, how they look at yeah, us, man. Yeah. That's, how, that's how they look at us. And they have they have individuals that they would love to, you know, have. And I, I, I'm not going to say they're favorites. They're just preference. They would prefer to have the one who probably went to the NFL or the NBA, or, you know, the NHL. I mean, in some schools where hockey is big, uh, they would prefer to have maybe those. But at the end of the day, I think it, it all starts with the um, the preparation uh-huh. to take or accept a Division One scholarship. I think there should be a class. Uh-huh. I think there should be a class. If you want to get a Division One scholarship and you want to play at the Division One level, there should be a class that you should, that the NCAA should make you take for the year prior, an online class, maybe yeah. like, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes a week, you know, just to go over different elements because everything changes, especially if you're a freshman, yeah. everything changes. And when I go on campus and I speak to some of these athletes, I can tell you right now, the freshmen, mm-hmm. you know, like I even said to my son, your first night on campus, you know, try and get some sleep. Yeah, right. Because it's going to be like four o'clock in the morning. Obviously, Nathan's a little bit different because he's He's out on his own now, mm-hmm. you know, in other countries. So he can, but he's still under some, there are some rules. Mm-hmm. But when you're first night on campus and you're a freshman and you're in the dorm and you can just get up yeah. at two o'clock in the morning right. and go outside and walk around, right. you just do it because yeah. it's like, I've never really been able to do this without hearing from my parents right. because let's just face it. You're not, you know, you're not coming to college. Most people aren't coming to college without having been going through some guidelines with their parents yeah. in terms of being in the house at one o'clock or right. whatever they can get they can get up at two o'clock they can stay out yeah. they can stay in the other person's dorm across the hall and sure. say, gosh it's three o'clock in the morning right you know i'm waiting for someone to tell me you should be going home or you should be getting in bed uh-huh. so that's the biggest the biggest thing that i notice is that they don't realize that you're going to be able to do this for four years yeah right the first semester is really the most important well knock back it up, out back up for a second though because that's the most people have the perception that when you sign a scholarship, it's a four year scholarship. It's one year renewable, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so it, it, when you it, see it, programs where you go, man, they have so many guys that just transferred out of that school. <laughs> they transferred because they were asked to leave. You know, it wasn't yeah. like they wanted to leave. They were just like, coach came in. Yeah. Uh, it might be a new coach that says, anyone that was here, yeah. thank you, but there's a door. Or it might be a coach that, thought that you were going to be a certain type of player you didn't end up being that player and it was that yeah you know what we we would recommend if you really want to play to go somewhere else and play but ideally right you're you're going to come in and each year you're taking care right. of business you're getting better uh, as a player you're taking care of business in the classroom and then you're going to get to year four you're like oh great you know now i get to petition to graduate and i leave so that's that would be yeah. the ideal but it works both but, ways though yeah. it works both ways where if you want to leave uh-huh. you know you can right I think for for me, you know, the one year deal worked for for my son. Uh-huh. You know, now who knows 
you know, with some kids, you want to put the pressure on them. Yeah, yeah. You want to let them know, hey, this is not guaranteed. Right. Now, after his first year, then we'll sit down and we'll have that, you know, that three-year guaranteed contract. And let's back you know? up for a second. Again, talk about your son specifically. He played AU basketball. He also uh, went to a private high school in the city in San Francisco. And then for his senior year, he transferred to a public school in the community that you and I live in, in Walnut Creek. And so talk about as you were watching him mature as a player, you know, did you did you have a sense that, okay he loves the game enough that if I work with him, you know, he could play at a high level at some point someday? Mm, Yeah. You know, I think. Before I get to him, I think that every kid has an opportunity to play at the high level. Mm-hmm. And when I say high level, I say Division One basketball. Yeah, right. That's that's the high level. Division One basketball. There's five hundred thousand, a little more than five hundred thousand people playing it. Yeah. In high school, but there's only eighteen thousand spots. Yeah. So you can say, well, how can you say everybody can play at the high level? Because I don't think everybody's putting in the work. Uh-huh. We talked about. We kind of opened this thing off with me saying I wasn't willing to put in that work. Yeah, yeah. And it's because I wasn't conditioned to work that way from a young age okay where where nathan and my other boys they're all conditioned to work at that age so to go to the gym and put up the reps mm-hmm. is part of the process for them it's not oh well i don't want to do this why am i here yeah you know there's th- how do i know this is going to even work in terms of the moves that we're working on in the gym yeah. and the moves that i got to do in the game but i knew in terms of nathan you know he did aau up until he was 16 uh-huh. and that was the, that he was done with aau at 16 okay he did uh, he didn't do aau seventh grade eighth grade mm-hmm. all we did was stay in the gym and work on i mean we played for the middle school team but yeah. that wasn't like a whole travel thing right so he was a little bit rare in the sense that he wasn't a true and quote-unquote aau kid yeah but he was all we did the fundamentals the development and yeah. the curriculum in terms of what a kid needs to know by this age what should he be able to do by that age mm-hmm. in terms of left hand right hand crossover step backs whatever so as time went on, I was able to not only watch him, but watch other kids. Sure. And then it was clear that, okay, well, you know, you got something here because he's better than a lot of the kids. He can do things that a lot of the kids can't do, mm-hmm. especially when it came to the shooting part. Okay. Um, I think shooting people don't, coaches don't allow kids to shoot as much as the kids like yeah. to become good at it. So I coach my kid to make sure that you know, any shot he took wasn't a bad shot. Just like the other kids on the team, I would just say, hey, great shot. Yeah. Shot an air ball, great shot. Now, obviously, you want four or five passes. You want the, you know, the, the defense to move a little bit. Right. But if you take a shot and you miss it, okay, that's just the name of the game. Uh-huh. But for Nathan, I knew, you know, I knew early on that, you know, if he, had, if he was put in the right situation, that he would develop and he would blossom. Uh-huh. I don't think the right situation was the school he was at in the city because he was getting up early in the morning uh-huh. and he was staying up late at night and it wasn't really letting his body physically grow yeah. because he wasn't getting the proper sleep. He yeah. wasn't eating right. Uh, he enjoyed it mm-hmm. uh, from an academic standpoint, from, from a basketball standpoint, it wasn't clicking for him. And then the coaches that he had didn't understand, hey, this kid's coming from a distance. Right. So it might be not it might not be a good idea to have practice six o'clock in the morning knowing he's got to leave his house at four yeah right you know and he's taking a train and he's got to walk through the tenderloin and Uh it's it's, it was just ugly so but he did it for three years Uh um and he didn't he never complained about it he never missed school like oh i'm too tired to take the train he just did it and went on with it but i noticed that from a basketball standpoint he wasn't developing yeah at the rate that he's when he came in he was he was shooting shooting like from a development standpoint he was about to shoot through the roof okay and then it just kind of tapered off and i said you know let's go over to england let's let's um get you with the national program got in with the national program the summer before yeah. and then 
came came back this year a completely different play, yeah. person, per, uh, person and player. And 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 for anybody that's listening, you have to understand that. So, Mark, your your wife is a UK citizen. She's born and raised in the UK. So by nature of birth, yeah. you know, and and your son being able to, I think, what, prior to 18, you can be a dual citizen. Yeah. Um, I have kind of a similar situation. My parents were, were uh, both from Trinidad and Tobago, right. um, so I could have dual citizenship. I could actually have, uh, it was interesting because my mom actually was from Grenada, so mm-hmm. I had three countries in play, you know, for right. me. But uh, so that allows him to be able to play ultimately someday for the national team, right? Yeah. yeah. And so that's that's a tremendous opportunity for him. We can get this international exposure as a high school player right. and travel around the world, where a lot of kids, you know, barely even going more than five miles yeah. away from their their yeah. communities, right? You go to Vegas. You, uh-huh. know, you go to Vegas or Reno and play. And, uh-huh. I mean, there's coaches there, but there are coaches. There are coaches over overseas watching those games yeah, as well. Right. NBA coaches are going to those games. Uh huh. You know, which is kind of weird. You know, I, he sent me a picture yesterday. He had uh, uh, the New York Knicks coach and uh, Porzingis. Oh, okay. Um, so Fizdale, you're saying was yeah, there? Yeah, Fizdale uh-huh. and Porzingis. They were at their practice in um, where were they? Latifa. Yeah. Uh huh. So. You know, I was like, "Wow, that's that's kind of cool." He's like, "Yeah, you know, yeah." He just had a bunch of smiley faces on his text, <laughs> um, but it's, it's it's a whole different level of experience right. for him. And so when you when you look at it and you see, hey, your kid's gone to Italy, to Spain, um, even some places that I that I haven't been mm-hmm. um, before he's twenty. Yeah, you know, well, really before he's even nineteen because he's still eighteen. He right. won't be nineteen until February. It's kind of like that's pretty cool. This is the second summer that he's been able to do it. Mm-hmm. And he won a silver medal last year. So for, for him, as a parent, you have to find opportunities for your kid to play. Sure. And if your kid is on the greatest team and they're the number one team, but your kid's not playing, you got to question whether your kid is happy if playing at the next level is his or her goal. Sure. You know, the other thing that when you talk about playing overseas, I had an opportunity to coach in the German Bundesliga, and it was my college coach, one of the coaches was um, a guy by the name of Dave Babcock, and he was, his brother Pete was the general manager for the Atlanta Hawks for like 10 years, and then Coach Babcock uh, that I played for then ended up working for the Milwaukee Bucks, and he's been there. He's still with them since we graduated, since I graduated from college. He was the director of player personnel for them, and he's had other roles in 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 the organization. And so he was able to connect me with someone who connected me with an opportunity to go to Germany and, and coach. And it's a pretty high level of basketball that yeah. they're playing in the Bundesliga. Yeah. And there were a lot of um, what I call NBA retreads, guys that, you know, had, had washed out of the NBA or maybe got a cup of coffee, you know, spent maybe a year on a roster right. and then came over and, and were like, I could make good money here, you know, and, and play in a league where the competition's good. The cities that you're playing in are beautiful. Um, but what I realized was when I had some guys coming over and they they had a tough time leaving home and being so far away from their families and they would just come, you know, sit in their apartment, watch, you know, DVDs all day until practice, whatever, and then go to practice, get something to eat and come back. And then there were the guys that were like what I anticipated being like, well, that were like me that had a chance to travel around the world and from a young age and, and, and you know, wasn't phased by being in different environments. Um, your son's going to be a perfect example of this where if he gets out of, when he gets out of college 
and let's say he doesn't, you know, he doesn't make it to the NBA, he can go overseas and play, and it's not going to phase him because he's already done it. He's been right. doing it for so right. many years, right? right? Just like the kid uh, Dosich is his name, the 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 kid from um from Europe uh, who was the third or fourth pick in the NBA oh, draft this year. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah, he turned pro when he was like fourteen or something right. like that, right? Yeah. So everybody's like, man, you know, this guy's nineteen. He's playing in the second, the best, second best league in the world in the ACB in Spain, and was the MVP right yeah. of that league. And so then he's coming here. Believe me, this guy, I think personally, you know, you never know until they actually get out there and lace it up. But I think his transition is going to be the easiest one into yeah. the NBA because he's been playing against guys who played in the NBA, and now they're playing over there in the ACB because they're making good money. Right. So when I think about some guys that maturity-wise, aren't ready to be away from home. Uh, some of them couldn't even go across the country and and survive, right? So now they're going, I want to go to Europe, I want to go to Europe. And they get there, and they're like, man, that's a long way away from home. The food's different, the culture's different, people are you know, not speaking my language. Instead of looking at it like, for me, I, I looked at it as an opportunity to get even a greater education. I was just like, man, after practice, I'm going to go and you know, tour some of these castles over here, you know, and, and I'm going right. to try some of this. And in Germany, there's a, there's a large Turkish population there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm eating Turkish food as well as German food, you know, because Europe is so much smaller than, than the United States. I could be in London in the afternoon oh, yeah. and come back in the evening, right? Yeah. You know, um, or go to, to Milan, you know, the next morning and then come back just in time for practice if I wanted to. But, you know, it, it's, you know, talk about your experience like overseas. And, and like I said, with your son, I think because he's been playing, mm-hmm. uh, there prior to him even entering college here, you know, what that was like when you got to your first destination and, and, and being teammates with people who were just like, man, this is some scary stuff. I'm so far <laughs> away from home, you know. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I never, um, I, I've always been in a situation where I've been around good people. Yeah. And so when, you know, I played over in England, a lot of the teammates, a lot of the guys that were there that were English, um, they were great. They yeah. were great to me. They, you know, they showed me around the city. And to this day, they're, um, I'm still good friends with all of them. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, when Nathan went back this summer, one of my teammates, he took him and Lindsay out to dinner okay. because um, he wanted to go work him out and yeah, take yeah. him to the gym and make sure he was staying in shape and all that other stuff. And, and, and obviously, with Lindsay being from there, it was mm-hmm. easy because you meet someone that lives there, that's born and raised there. They, yeah. you know, oh, let's go here. Let's go here. So, you know, I always tell guys that if you can't go to a foreign country with someone, because some teams don't have that money where they yeah. send, you know, two plane tickets. I always made sure that I had three extra plane tickets for that season that the team had to pay for. So a friend of mine could come over and see me or my mom or yeah. whoever wanted to come. Right. But when it comes to, um, you know, now, I think it's it's a lot easier to get out and see the city you're in with the iPhones and the technology yeah. and the maps and everything. Right. You can't get lost. You right, right, right. It's like, well, that's true. You, you you're know, absolutely it's, right. It's, yeah. it's just so much easier. Back then, it was a little bit kind of like a, a, somewhat of a mystery. Yeah, yeah. Where you just kind of walk down this street to that street. Yeah. And you have the map if you stayed in the hotel. And then you you didn't have what we have now. Yeah. And I, I, I find that. You know, and I tell people all the time, ha- find a, a hobby, mm-hmm. you know, find something that you want to do, something that you want to see, something that you want to collect. For me, it was uh, when I went to Hong Kong, I went to Hong Kong and I was just walking around, kind of checking everything out. And, 
you know, this woman said, I went into one shop and then went to another shop. Then end up going back into the same shop I was in. And the woman says, you were here, you were here before. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do the accent part. I'm just going to tell you, <laughs> you were here before. And I said, yeah. And she says, what are you looking for? And I said, I'm just looking, looking around. You yeah. Know? And she said, you should get a hobby then. And you should be looking for something. Uh-huh. And, um, and she said, because it seems like all you have is time, yeah. you know. And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. So then I said to her, do you have an uh, hourglass? Because it's like the sands of time, yeah. you know. Um, and she said, no, but I know where you can find one. Okay. And she told me to go to this shop, and it was down and around and wherever. I went there. I went to like five or six different shops. Yeah. And I found that it was allowing me to get to know the city. Uh-huh. But I had a purpose. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to find this hourglass. <laughs> right, right. You know, I wasn't just aimlessly wandering. Yeah, right. I was actually looking for one specific item. And I had I had, drew, I had to draw it on a piece of paper for one guy because he didn't speak any English. Yeah. He's like, draw it. You draw it. So I draw it. And he's like, no, no, no. You go up there. And then, so anyway, I ended up getting that as my hobby. So every every country that I went to play in, you know, when I went to that city, I'd, you know, unpack and everything. And uh-huh. then I'd wait. And then whether it was raining or cold or whatever. When the day, when it came for me to go out. Right. I would just go out in the city center and I would go to different shops looking yeah. for an hourglass. And it just, it helped me pass the time. It helped yeah. me get to know the city, helped right. me meet some people. You know, one lady was like, you're the guy looking for the hourglass, right? <laughs> you know, one time I was in Switzerland and she's like, you were looking for the hourglass this morning, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. She goes, I finally found where they are. I know where they are. But that's just me. But that's, I'm going to have to funny. wrap this thing up here. Yeah. In so there, there's so much there's so much that that I definitely want to talk to you uh, about, Mark. We're going to do that on a on a different day because there there are so many different issues that are going on in college basketball. There are a lot of uh, corruption. You know, we talk about that. Uh, we talk about kids that are only planning on being on campus for basically one semester, because if they're going to be a one and done, they're in school one semester and they just have to stay eligible Basketball season ends in March. Let's say you're fortunate enough to play in the tournament. As soon as that thing is done, these kids are gone. They're out of school. So I think at a, at a later date, I definitely want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, kind of that phenomenon and, and, you know, what, what coaches are, are doing, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, maybe helping some players and then some coaches that are just like, Hey, you know, whatever you do, great. I don't care about my graduation rate, even though the NCAA has implemented you know these these penalties for for schools aren't graduating their players but definitely want to talk about that and 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 talk a little bit more about your your son and his journey as he's getting ready to get started as a division one basketball player so thanks for for hanging out you know let's do it again man let's do it again definitely gonna do it thank you so much all right buddy Thank you so much to tuning in, or I should say thank you so much for tuning in to this very first episode of Division One Basketball. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Mark Robinson. I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot just in a short 60 minutes or so that we were able to spend with him. And it was so insightful, some of the things that he was talking about in regards to his time with Coach Knight and, and how he has such a, a fond appreciation of what he did for him while he was in the program and and after he graduated and and how he tried to help him figure out what he wanted to do after he graduated and and where his career was going to take him so that was fun i hope you enjoyed that as i said this is uh was the first episode and and it's going to get better i promise you as we figure out where we want to take the show so thanks for joining us we are excited to get any feedback 
suggestions that you want to make about the show any ideas as to people you want to hear on this podcast because uh no egos involved here i i want to take all the criticism and 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 also accept the praise with that if you think there was a show that was a good show uh let us know but the journey begins and uh, i'm excited to have you along share um anything that you want to that you heard on this show and uh and tell your friends about us let's try to grow together and, and uh and get better at what we're doing here but most importantly follow this game that we love so much which is division one basketball so thanks for, for joining us don't forget go into division one basketball.com the website hit our instagram at division one basketball we have some interesting things that we're going to be doing throughout the year we have a half court shot contest that uh, will be going on throughout the year and there'll be an opportunity for people to win prizes and and cash and and all kinds of fun things so this is going to be a fun journey thank you for coming on board and thanks for joining